This is an event hosted by Because Mental Health, which is a youth-led organization that aims to end the stigma against mental health and increase education of youths in realms of psychology and neuroscience. Today, we are very grateful and honored to have Ms. Chinmayi Balusu with us today, who is the founder of Simply Neuroscience. This three-time TEDx speaker is an undergraduate sophomore at Columbia University, pursuing neuroscience and medical humanities, and is a student researcher with a background of biomedicine and neurodegenerative disease research. Without further ado, we'll pass the time to Chinmayi. Um, as was mentioned, my name is Chinmayi, um, and I'm currently in my third year of undergraduate studies at Columbia University in New York City. I'm originally from Northern California, uh, so moving to the city was quite an interesting journey, but have, having a really great time here learning about neuroscience, medical humanities, and kind of that bridge between the humanities and the sciences that oftentimes is really separate. Um, so that kind of a multidisciplinary perspective has really informed my work at Simply Neuroscience and research and beyond. Um, and if you're wondering what Simply Neuroscience is, I'll be discussing that a little bit later. But to summarize very briefly, it's a nonprofit organization that I started building in 2019, around the same time that I was matriculating into college. Um, it's based around interdisciplinary neuroscience and getting young students like ourselves involved in the field and helping them pursue that interest in the brain through supporting them with resources, mentorship, events, and whatnot um, to really fulfill their best brain journey possible. Outside of some neuroscience and outreach work, I'm also part of brain injury research at Columbia Medical Center and Stanford Medicine, uh, and also serve on the leadership of an organization known as Bifidorian Scientists that works to make science open, inclusive, and accessible, especially with a focus on women and gender minorities and ensuring their voices are heard in the science space. So let's dive right into talking about why in the world should you be listening to me talk about neuroscience and the brain and psychology and all these different concepts. Um, there's this really lovely quote by a anthropologist named John Allen, who wrote in 2009, the brain is truly wonderful and complex, seamlessly and apparently effortlessly able to attend to multiple tasks at the same time. However, he then addresses the big conundrum of neuroscience, which is that we still have yet to understand ourselves via religion or science or art or technology. We are still truly figuring out ourselves, the human brain. And what's really neat about neuroscience is that it's still a very young field in perspective to um, other science explorations, biology, for instance, that have been ongoing for perhaps even centuries, might say. Um, neuroscience's roots trace back to the times of the Egyptians, the Greeks, um, for quite a while in history. However, the field as we know it today is really only coming about in the recent decades. So there's still, we're only touching the tip of the iceberg, really, and there's quite a bit that the field will be undergoing in terms of transformations and advancements and nuances and whatnot. So I know the overall premise of our discussion today is thinking about how neuroscience relates to mental health. And after this, I'm also gonna be telling you a little bit about career opportunities and as well as ways that you can start getting involved now and thinking about charting you know, further steps 
into the future. So, and after that point, I'll play a little bit of some neuro and we can do questions. I'm also happy to do questions for much longer. Um, questions are always fun. So let's chat a little bit about neuro and mental health and the intersections, the implications. I do also want to acknowledge that I am a neuroscience student, a neuroscientist in training. Um, this is based on what I've learned over the years and citing appropriate sources, of course, but the field is also changing quite literally every day. So our understanding of this develops every day. The second point I also want to acknowledge real quick is that I am not going to be discriminating between neuroscience and psychology, as they are two fields that are extremely intertwined. There's quite a bit of discourse about what exactly is a gap or the overlaps between the two. But we are in general, when I mention neuroscience, you can think of neuroscience, psychology, neuropsychology, anything in between, and generally brain science perhaps is a good umbrella term, study of the brain. So let's dive right in. Neuroscience is incredibly crucial in understanding resilience, both on an individual and a community level. We're obviously, let's acknowledge it, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now that is a once in a century event. And with that in mind, there's quite a bit of collective trauma and individual trauma, especially over this past year that has resulted from the pandemic, has resulted from the need to incredibly further and highlight social justice movements you know, in the face of racism worldwide, especially in the United States as well. Um, and with that in mind, there's quite a bit of trauma that we've all been through, quite a few experiences that we've been through. And the resilience of the human brain to, to almost come back, to bounce back from that is truly incredible. But that's also not always the case. What happens when our brain goes awry and we lose that sense of who we are or what we consider normal, that we can't return to our normal selves, that feeling. Um, of course, studying the brain is studying mental health. Um, mental health is health. So just as medicine, you know, incorporates psychiatry, neuroscience in that same way, psychology, clinical aspects, therapeutic aspects, all of these interconnect in understanding the biological underpinnings, social underpinnings, the psychological underpinnings, and much, much more. There's multiple levels to that conversation. With that also comes stigma. We don't always associate resilience with stigma in a good way. Sometimes, um, especially among youth, there may be especially a lot of perceptions of weakness, mental illnesses as a weakness, as a deficit. And so the science behind the scenes can help us combat and break down that stigma in terms of saying, no, this isn't just, you know, mental illness is not something that someone wakes up one morning and chooses. There are conditions that can cause great struggle in an individual's lives, and it's truly a journey. Um, both you know, psychologically and also medically. So for both scientists to come together with that social aspect and add that dimension to the picture is really important for that conversation to grow. Um, and not just sort of throwing words around up in the air and causing um, folks to fear discussing mental health in public, for instance, or for students to fail to understand because of what society around them says or the community says that discussing these topics out loud is you know, stigmatized. The third aspect is translational applications. There are incredible advancements in the basic sciences, in the laboratory spaces, but also in the clinical spaces and spaces with therapy, social workers, and many others involved, where all these aspects and technology even are coming together, uniting folks from multiple perspectives and expertise backgrounds to 
Think about translating these devices into devices and advancements into everyday life. For instance, neurotechnology, there are many companies, many startups, many devices out there that are focusing on how can we use our understanding of these chemicals that are going awry in the brain, these neurotransmitters that are not quite functioning the way we usually think of them as, or are these certain aspects, these certain structures in the brain that something is slightly off with? Um, how can we kind of regulate that as a technological level, technological scale? So that's just one aspect. Um, neuromodulation, for instance, is a really hot topic right now. Um, but overall translational applications, I do want to highlight that there is so much coming from the clinical space, the research space, but also the interpretation of that kind of leads into empathy. Um, I always like to mention that studying the brain is studying ourselves from the time that we wake up, the time that we go to sleep. Neuroscience is interacting with our lives in some way, shape, or form, whether that be deciding what is food that is healthy for your gut and your brain, the gut-brain axis is really important. Um, experts like Dr. Uma Naidu in the field of nutritional psychiatry are all about what, uh, how is the food you are eating influencing your mood and your mental health conditions. I actually have Dr. Naidu's book on my bookshelf over there, not within arm's reach, but there is definitely a lot of discourse about what you eat is affecting how you feel. Um, whether you decide to work on your homework first or procrastinate instead and go hang out with your friends or social relationships, all of that is really dependent on these concepts from psychology and neuroscience. And so with that comes also a sense of empathy for one another. Um, not all of our brains are wired the same way, even though it's kind of a, you know, like every brain is unique. It's almost like fingerprints, right? Very unique, um, yet similar in, in many aspects. So with that in mind, all these scientific underpinnings of the brain, understanding that, you know, these aren't just, just random, you know, misconceptions, random theories, random rumors that people are spreading around, but rather, let's say, you know, that depression is a result of X, Y, Z, things going awry in the brain, or anxiety is resulting from these factors, and here's how we can help individuals overcome that, cope with these conditions. Um, the basic sense of empathy that clinical providers often share with their patients is really important for us to have as community members one to another who aren't necessarily all trained in the field. Um, but you know, we are individuals that experience these. So I think there's just some ways that neuroscience can play into mental health. Um, obviously conditions of the brain, study of the brain, you can see how they very much go hand in hand. But I think it's good to have a general sense of understanding how, um, you know, mental health is not just a discussion of mental health, but many also scientific uh, backgrounds tying into it. So kind of spoken a little bit about mental health. And obviously there's a, a million different career paths that you could think about when pursuing a career related to mental health or any of these industries that I've listed here, any of these sectors that I've listed here. So I'm gonna quickly run through some of these sectors and point out maybe fields that relate to their areas and uh, specialized niches as well. Um, and you also notice as we're going through these that there's an incredible amount of overlap, uh, which truly highlights how interdisciplinary these fields are. They truly draw on multiple lenses, multiple perspectives to make a difference in whichever career sector or industry they are. So let's start with one that we're likely more familiar with, research and education. This could be oftentimes affiliated with some sort of research institution, like the Allen Institute of Brain Sciences. It could be the you know, Columbia University as a research institution. It could be a undergraduate college. Um, 
most depends on whether you are interested in teaching, as in like a professor who's a lecturer for undergraduate students, or public engagement. You're not necessarily teaching students, let's say, at universities, but you are engaging with community members who don't necessarily have a background in neuroscience, but are promoting general brain health, general awareness of why neuroscience is important. This is a form of public engagement in a way, but think about you know actual through formal means. Um, pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, research is definitely very heavy, right? You could be working in a basic sciences lab, a wet lab, you could be working with data, those statistical analyses, you could be working with um, animal research, human-based participants, um, neurotechnology fits into here in some ways. There's a whole range. And I think when most people think of neuroscience, you probably think of research and education. It's one of the more predominant majorities. Um, now, also going hand in hand is health and medicine, of course. Research and medicine are like two, two ends of the same string or the same idea. Um, there's an incredible amount of overlap because obviously science translates into clinical applications and making a difference in people's lives. So when you think of medicine, let's maybe a more straightforward example is neurologists, neurosurgeons, psychiatrists, people who have trained with a medical degree, medical um, practitioners could also be nurses, could also be physician assistants, um, and all these individuals who come together to diagnose illnesses, promote better health for patients. Um, we also have therapists here, clinical psychologists, for instance, um, who also add to that equation. Nutrition also fits in here, like I mentioned before, what you eat is incredibly important for your brain health. So that lens comes in here. And also public health and a little bit of epidemiology, tracking disease outcomes across different populations, who's at risk for certain diseases, for instance, like Alzheimer's disease. Um, if you have Huntington's disease, there are genetic risk components. So tracking those and making individuals aware of their risk for conditions, designing more personalized treatment plans. There's a whole bunch that's involved in here. Um, and then business and law, you can think of neuroeconomics. How do, you know, neuroscience principles explain certain trends in the economy, certain behavioral decisions on the part of consumers. If you think of neuromarketing, um, how can we use neuroscience principles to make more visually appealing designs, for instance, more effective, understanding, empathetic advertising tactics, ways of connecting with consumers. Um, with nonprofits, it could be setting up these, especially if it's more of a neuroscience engagement, public engagement side, you may be working on the um, engagement with the uh, external engagement with the community as a spokesperson. For instance, not all nonprofit organizations have neuroscientists on board, but you might be that neuroscientist on board who can truly convey that science in an ethical and informed manner. And of course, ethics. Um, this also ties, ethics is one of those, it's really interesting. It ties into all these fields here, but especially in the world of, let's say, business technology. There is a lot of devices coming out, technologies coming out that perhaps are not covered by current um, scientific uh, guidelines for consent of consumers, um, for thinking about these technologies that can change the way your brain functions at a chemical level and change your identity in a way that your personality can change. So there's a lot of regulation that's involved. And of course, law in the courtroom is one aspect of regulations, um, you know, upholding or combating ill uses, 
And it could also be, for instance, cases like if you have a patient who is considered to be brain dead, um, when do kind of legal uh, endings and beginnings for that occur? And debating about that in a courtroom, for instance, making a case for that patient. Um, a lot of opportunities there. Government and policy can be a little bit tied to law, but also in terms of scientific grant organizations. A lot of research institutions get grants from the government. So there obviously are scientists who are reviewing those grants at the upper level. There's also advisors um, to members of Congress, representatives, um, staffers who are working directly in these offices, science and technology, roundtables, meetings, engaging with lawmakers, informing them on, hey, these are the important concerns related to excuse me, related to how we can make sure science is being regulated and reaching the right communities it needs to be. And that's what the support of the federal and the local or state regional levels. So science policy is incredibly important for translating, especially a lot of the research that happens at these labs to real world concrete impact. It's one that is time consuming and it, over, it often occurs over a longer duration of time. But it's incredibly essential. It's kind of a missing piece. A lot of times people don't consider science policy as the hidden link um, in making sure that science reaches the people it's meant to. It's a big part of community engagement too, in another way. And last but not least, you have the creative sector, which is incredibly broad. Um, you have people who are involved in visual design, animations, media. You have people who are informing, let's say, a science consultants to famous TV shows like The Big Bang Theory, for instance. Um, you have folks who are involved in writing, both as uh, authors for you know, big journals like Scientific American, New York Times, opinion editorial contributors, but also in terms of ensuring that um, all these big science journals that result from research are being compiled in responsible manners. These large publications you see are coordinated by trained professionals as well. Um, there are several wonderful artists out there who are inspired by neuroscience in the way that they, they depict and create their art and others who also um, illustrate certain aspects of the brain. It's structured, it's functioning so that audiences and viewers can understand in a more easy manner. Um, dance and music for therapies in the clinical setting is really big and on the rise, but also interpretations of that. How can we stimulate um, moods? Music is obviously a big, big uh, factor for how we're feeling, what songs we're listening to, the mood of them can affect our mood. Um, and also architecture, the way that we navigate spaces. Uh, how can we use the study of the brain to understand how we navigate the world, spatial navigation, for instance, um, depth perception, visual cues, all these different concepts. So very open-ended. And honestly, all of these are very open-ended. Um, like I mentioned before, it's very possible that you have someone who's working in the business aspect who also informs policy. Someone in ethics could be reporting on the creative sector, but also be involved in the health and medicine aspect. So takeaway is that these are structured into categories to kind of talk about them, discuss and think about them in a more structured format, but that does not mean that they're very, very you know, rigid uh, structures and categories by any means. No, they're very flexible. So you're probably wondering, uh, okay, well, these are all very cool careers. Uh, how do I get started? <laughs> how do I pursue my interest? And um, where do I go from here? So I'm assuming that many of us here 
are still in school, education, pursuing our education, whether it's high school, middle school, secondary education, undergraduate, bachelor's education, graduate education. And these institutions are definitely great ways to explore when you're in that student bubble. Um, now, with that being said, when I was in high school, I only had one AP psychology course that I couldn't take until my last year of high school because of the requirements. And we briefly skimmed neurobiology in our biology class. So I definitely felt that I would have loved to take a lot more you know, psychology neuroscience classes when I was in high school, but that wasn't quite the case. So, and sometimes in undergraduate education too, not all universities offer a neuroscience degree. Not all of them offer a psychology degree. Now, some may be really exciting in terms of offering degrees in cognitive science and um, mind, brain, and behavior that are very broad and offer a lot of support. But let's say especially smaller colleges, state colleges, public universities may not always have the same strength as private universities do. So with that in mind, it's also important to consider that you can define your coursework to a certain extent, right? They have electives that you can take. And even within classes, for instance, I had a university writing course in which our capstone paper, you could write about a topic that was super interesting to you. It could be anything as long as it tied back to some of the readings from the class. So at that point, I decided to think about what is the role of medicine and theatrical representations and the aspect of being involved in theater uh, for medical students and training professionals. So that was something that just came up to me as a very curious about and I did. And you could absolutely take that opportunity in these such classes to take on exploring a concept in neuroscience that you're curious about, especially in humanities classes. Oftentimes, if our peers don't always have the same sort of um, scientific interest as you do, it may be super interesting to be able to practice conveying your skills to someone who's not necessarily in the same field, but rather in adjacent fields. So they have the aspect of communication as well. Um, now, self-learning is really big. As you probably have noticed during the pandemic, online learning is at an all-time high, and it's only going to keep on going in a positive manner from here. So there are wonderful platforms such as Coursera, BDX, I'll just go into, go into Google and search up things like where can I take an introductory neuroscience course for free? Um, and there's many, many podcasts out there, many YouTube channels, Instagram pages that are focused on giving you tidbits of information um, that you can, you can journey with. Some of my favorites are there's this channel called Two Minute Neuroscience on YouTube. There's other channel like Crash Course, which is super popular. They have a Crash Course Psychology playlist. It's a great primer for getting involved. Um, I think the biggest barrier for a lot of students is this kind of mental perception of neuroscience is really tough. There's so much jargon. But you know, we all start from somewhere. And you can absolutely start learning from right now. You don't have to wait until it's college or when it's graduate programs. You don't have to wait till you have a certain degree to really start pursuing that interest. Um, and two, three avenues of going about that could be community service, internships and getting involved in clubs and organizations. So community service is often, I think, the underlooked aspect. Um, as I've mentioned a million times so far, neuroscience does not just exist in a lab, it does not exist in a textbook, it exists in real life. So what I mean by that is that the impacts of the science in the field are impacting real world people. So whether that is volunteering with a local senior care center where you might get the chance to meet individuals who are um, experiencing and suffering Alzheimer's disease, understanding their experiences, connecting with family members, seeing that lived true reality of these neurological conditions makes for not only being empathetic humans, 
but well-informed scientists, neuroscience professionals, um, understanding what and how we're learning about can impact real people um, is super crucial, seeing the other end of the uh, impact. That could also be tutoring students, right? It could be tutoring students. It could be um, a whole range of activities. I think another big misconception is that, you know, it's like, well, how is, how is wondering as this, at this XYZ position relevant to neuroscience or psychology? But it doesn't necessarily always have to be about the content. It can be about the translation of that content. So I encourage you to think about that in terms of skills, putting those concrete skills that you can add to your portfolio down the line. If it's something like, let's say you're helping, um, you're helping this initiative code certain aspects, you might be able to use that coding experience to help out in future research projects. Um, any public speaking opportunities, communicating with you know community members, like I mentioned, is super essential for scientists these days. And you can really showcase those skills as you go about in growing career in the early stages. Now, internships are interesting, right? Oftentimes people will say internships need things, ah, research, something clinical, something medicine, something heavy sciences. But also you can oftentimes get some really interesting um, experiences shadowing people, um, whether it be you know artists who are inspired by neuroscience, getting chat with them, understanding how they how their you know trajectory led them to where they are right now. Um, for folks who are in let's say uh, the startup world, the more the entrepreneurship aspect of neuroscience, building neurotech, um, mental health and wellness companies, startups. Um, these are really oftentimes smaller scale, uh, and they may be willing to take on students in a more intimate mentorship setting, um, giving you the hands, uh, the hands-on experience behind the scenes. And another way of kind of outside of the research world of understanding how this science is playing out into discovery and innovation. Now, we also have clubs and organizations, of course. If you're in high school, especially, there may not be many clubs around, but you know what? And why not just get together a group of friends? meet during lunchtime, meet over Zoom, maybe find a teacher who's super excited and, and supporting you, or just do it independently. It could be a group chat, it could be a formal thing. Now, you'll often find more formal neuroscience and psychology societies like Sci-Chi, NeuroSci, when you get to the undergraduate level. Um, sometimes these are honor societies. Sometimes, you know, if you're not a direct neuro and psychology student, you may not be able to participate in these. Um, but there's also a lot of wonderful organizations out there. Some are professional societies, again, like the Society for Neuroscience. There is the, um, like the Federation of the European Neuroscience Societies, which are oftentimes more geared towards later in their career professionals, but they have also some really cool engagement opportunities for young students like ourselves and yourselves. Um, everyone really, really is happy to take on mentees. Mentorship is really valuable, and there are so many people out there who are really happy to take time out of their day and invest that in you and providing advice. Um, there's just some really wonderful people out there. So there's that aspect. Um, there's also organizations like one I'm building right now, Simply Neuroscience, where we are by students for students. And so in that way, um, it really is a lot more customized to the experience that we're going through right now. We understand that we don't, we don't have PhDs, we don't have medical degrees. Um, we're trying to learn along the way, explore as much as we can along the way, figure out what kind of careers can fit our interests best. Um, we try to cater to that best. We know that we're not all experts, 
or you maybe don't know what we're doing sometimes, right? In terms of like, you might like neurobiology one day, you might like neuropsychology one day, and you're like, what do I do? I like everything. Um, so that's our premise in terms of, we really bring together the sciences and humanities, the arts, business, law, everything in our perspectives. Um, in terms of events, you might see, you know, a neuroeconomist, a behavioral psychologist, um, and a neuroethicist all, you know, speaking in rapid succession at the same event. Um, it's kind of intermingling. So our big emphases are in education, outreach, and awareness. And I've kind of been alluding to these along the way, but what we learn, what we put into our brains, the food that we, you know, feed our brains in terms of knowledge is also really important that we do something with it. We just don't want to gather, 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 and keep it up there and not do anything. So whether that's raising awareness for mental health conditions, um, neurodiversity, um, the lived experiences of these um, heartbreakingly difficult neurological conditions, um, and even just raising awareness of like, why exactly should we listen to neuroscience? For instance, there's a lot of psychological concepts involved in why people sometimes don't pay as much attention to the climate crisis and global warming as they ought to. So even things that we don't necessarily think are related to the brain, there still are aspects of learnings that we can draw from. Um, so these are our three core tenets, I would say. And at the end of the day, we are a community within Simply Neuroscience, outside of simply neuroscience, just in neuro and psychology in general. Um, there are a lot of individuals with diverse perspectives joining the table. And so it's it's a constant exchange of knowledge, always refining your perspective. Um, and it's truly one of those fields where the growth is incredible to see. What we knew two years ago is completely different from what we know today. Um, and I can say I'm, you know, I'm just in my third year of undergrad, but from the time that I was in my first year of high school, to now, you know, six, seven years later, there's been such a difference in the amount of interest in the field and the amount of people who are willing to chat with you, um, talk your ears off about how excited they are and how much there is undiscovered out there. So I am just, you know, sharing about something in our science here today in terms of I'm happy to also discuss like more of the founding journey and the building journey and any questions. But also just encourage you to look into resources, self-learning especially. We just have a lot of open access things. And if you find them helpful, that's great to hear. Um, these resources are out there for people like you all and like me to learn from. Okay, so can you explain more about how depression ties in with neuroscience? So depression is a mental illness. Um, and a lot of what scientists currently explore as potential reasons for depression are linked with chemical transmissions in the brain, chemical imbalances, oftentimes called neurotransmitters. They are super important in how neurons communicate. So neurons are the building blocks of the brain. They're the cells that convey all that essential information at very, very rapid speeds, hundreds of miles per hour, actually, which is super fascinating, these little itty bitty things. So these billions and billions of neurons, um, one small aspect of their communication process is these chemicals called neurotransmitters. So you might have heard by chance of dopamine, serotonin, um, nephrine. There's a bunch out there. So, um, so all these neurotransmitters, all these chemicals, hormones, there's a bunch of peptides involved. Um, these all come together to regulate the way that our brain functions on a daily basis. So I was mentioning when things go awry, when there are imbalances, perhaps. Um, when there are deficits or perhaps something is, is not functioning properly with the transmission of these information relays, um, chemicals are not 
in the exact amounts they're supposed to be. And this is all very much paraphrasing, right? We're not getting into the jargon of this. Um, that can lead to the development of mental illnesses and neurological conditions, including depression, including anxiety, um, including bipolar disorder, many, many other conditions. So really, I've also, I've always found it really interesting when we don't really think about neuroscience immediately when we think of mental health, because it really does explore a lot of the biological and the chemical underpinnings of the conditions. Um, and that in combination with psychology, social psychologists, therapy, clinical aspects, really builds that full picture of how we can help individuals um, with these conditions. See, what are some events that Simply Neuroscience will have that are online on Zoom? Yeah, so all of our events right now are actually over Zoom. One, because the pandemic is still happening, and two, because it promotes um, greater access to folks regardless of location, right? So whether you're in the United States like I am, whether you're in India, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, Brazil, you can tune, uh, tune into these events um, and enjoy. So I've just dropped the link tree uh, URL in the chat. And we actually just completed one workshop today that was about the neuroscience behind dreams and memory, I believe. So either memory or sleep. Um, and there's an upcoming neurotechnology focused weekend long event in November in about a month or so. It's really creeping up faster than expected. Um, but there's these are just some more monthly events. And then approximately once a year, we host our annual conference called Simply NeuroCon which is usually over two days. Um, last year, we had a jam-packed schedule of um, speakers in the course of about 12 hours. And towards, oh my gosh, time is flying by. But in late July, early August of this year, we hosted a hackathon called Synaptic Hacks, where participants were able to build projects around the five prize tracks that included um, neuroscience education, neurotechnology, um, medicine, public health, and research. Um, and it's all about kind of taking these concepts that we learn about from speaker presentations, from just learning from classes, and building that into a more actionable project proposal that you could, you know, if you got $10,000 and unlimited resources in the world that you would love to put into action, that kind of ideas. Um, so there's a range of events. Um, it's it's not just lectures and talks. It's definitely interactive components spread throughout. We have more casual social events. Today's workshop was definitely an interactive one. It was taught by students for fellow students. Um, we have what are called brain breaks, Jeopardy games once in a while, um, where you can get to meet fellow students. Um, and even the speaker presentations themselves too are oftentimes they want to they want to make students think through these issues that they're really passionate about. Um, and so there's some really great opportunities to engage with speakers. Some of them are lectures, some of them are more informal research presentations where you can ask Q&As about students' presentations and research, um, what they're building projects-wise and what. So there's a whole spectrum in summary. Okay, so what got me into neuroscience? Great question. Um, I, in all honesty, feel like I stumbled into it. I really liked anatomy when I was, I think, middle school or so. And so the brain being one of the most complex parts of anatomy was super curious to me. And so my initial start was in neurobiology. I liked learning how the structure of the brain came together. I liked learning about you know, 
how the frontal lobe had specific functions and how this part of the brain had that function and XYZ, whatnot. And then I think over the years, I mean, interests always grow as you explore newer aspects. And I think as I got into college, I realized that I really enjoyed learning about traumatic brain injury. Um, I liked the aspect of it not just being research, but also understanding, you know, community members' experiences, hearing the stories of survivors of traumatic brain injuries. For instance, that could be from concussions, that could be from motor vehicle accidents. Um, and hearing all these come together with the clinical spaces was, I think that sort of intersection was what really got me into where I am today in terms of my current interests. Um, and at the end of the day, I absolutely love how much diversity there is in neuroscience, both in terms of the people that are involved, in terms of their backgrounds, and in terms of the types of conversations that we have. I mean, you could talk about one concept, one small little niche in neuroscience, one new concept every single day of the year, and you'd probably still never run out of things to talk about. So just the overall breadth. Um, I'm definitely someone who likes that kind of flexibility. I'm not sure like what my future career would end up in if it's like pure clinical, pure research, pure science engagement, but definitely that kind of flexibility between the aspects of not just being confined to let's say working in industry or working in the writing sector um, is what I really, really love. There's so much out there to do, so much out there you can always keep chatting about. Okay, let's see. There are so many types of antidepressants. How are they different? Um, there's a bunch of chemical formula differences. I am not gonna, I don't think I have the expertise to directly answer this. So I'm actually not gonna be able to give you an answer much. I'm gonna refer you to like PubMed, Google Scholar. Um, but it really comes down to chemical interactions, right? There are hundreds of chemicals running around our body, right? And they're made up of all of these different components, these minerals, vitamins, nutrients, supplements, everything adds to the equation, right? So not every drug is going to work on the same chemical interactions. Not every drug is going to work on neurotransmitters. Some of these drugs are cocktails of certain components that they're targeting differently. Um, there's inhibitory aspects, cytatory aspects. Um, there's a whole range. Um, it's kind of like if you think about, you know, when we have a when we have antibiotics, why are there so many antibiotics? There's different strains that they tackle. There's different forms that they tackle. Um, different individuals' biochemistries and their pre-existing medical conditions can also influence um, what kind of drugs that clinicians, professionals, providers prescribe for them. So it's a long story. <laughs> and I also want to fully disclose that I am not a medical professional. <laughs> Thanks for coming out today. It's really lovely to get to virtually meet you all. Um, if there's anything that uh, so neuroscience can ever provide support of in terms of your neuroscience psychology learning journey. Don't hesitate to reach out. We always love to connect with students.